millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everybody, pod bless, and welcome to another episode of Other People's Podcast, America's number one podcast discovery platform that highlights your favorite podcasters and the dope shows they created. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Today's special guest is B. Beeman. B is one of my dear friends and a very talented recording artist and producer who decided to release his new album, Peace of Mind, as the very first album to be released as a podcast. Peace of Mind is a soundtrack to this crazy time in America. Each of the eight songs has a different theme, like immigration, voter suppression, and mental health. These songs, one per episode, plays like a half an hour radio show with conversation, storytelling, and cool sound design. At the end, B shares his full song and the story behind it. He also brought in some special guests like Snap Judgment's Glenn Washington, religious scholar Dave Eggers, and many others. So, without further ado, let me introduce you to my dear friend and the host of Peace of Mind, B. Beeman. What's up, B? What's up, man? So I was saying before we, we press play, I was like, I got to say this for the interview. When you come in town, it's like when you're a kid and your cousins come in town from out of town. You know what I mean? And it's just like, oh, my God, cousin <laughs> B's in town. And it's like there's no bedtime yeah. and your parents don't really like care too much about yeah. what you do yeah. and it's just like a lax fun weekend cool. thanks man it's like when you come to we're brooklyn cousins. we i mean we're all like we're cousins. brooklyn cousins we, you yeah. ain't from here dog Cor- <laughs> yeah. Corey came out and stayed with uh with us in la and uh it was a lot of fun well i Tons feel like fun. I, have you stayed with us yet in no oh, you haven't stayed here i haven't yet. been that drunk yet no well you know when you come you typically have like a hotel room or Airbnb, some type of scenario. Yeah, yeah. You could just stay with us, dude. Sure. Yeah. I mean, sleep in your bed, eating your cornflakes. Why not, dog? (laughs) (laughs) How's everything, man? Welcome back to New York. Good, good, good. Yeah. You know, I I never thought that you would be on OPP. (laughs) (laughs) I thought at some point I'll have you on Silent Giant. I shot right to the top. (laughs) I don't have to to go to school. I don't have to put in my dues. Um, but yeah, no, it's cool. I am on OPP. Yeah, I mean, I'm back, here. So backstory on me and B's relationship. We've been friends for three, four years now. Feels like longer. It, it feels does. a lot longer. It feels it's been exhausting. It, it's I've been doing. You stress <laughs> me out, bro. <laughs> no, but I feel like it has been longer. Uh, has it been five years? It's been a while. We met through Brian. Yeah, Trent. maybe five. Yeah, maybe five. met through Brian Trent. Yeah. When did you? Because did you have a show here in New York? Uh, it's a show, and then uh, I met you. Joe Mar, Brian Trent, and your other friend, I can't remember. The redhead? Josh? The redhead. Maria Butina. Uh, <laughs> Josh. Yeah, of course, Josh. Yes. And we met at Spotify offices. And uh, yeah, we've been friends ever since. So, we went out that night and had fun. Of course. I and mean, we always go out and have yeah. fun. That's, that's what we do. Yeah. To tell the audience, you know, a little bit about yourself. I, I, I know that you are a, an artist and yeah. activist. Well, tell us about yourself. 
I was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, insert a Scott Joplin tune right there. And um, my parents are from a country called Sri Lanka. They moved here in 1970, roughly, and they came in through California and then moved to Chicago. My brother's born there, older brother, and then moved to St. Louis, and I was immediately born there in 82. And I started playing guitar when I was like seven years old. I always like loved guitar for whatever reason it was. I like to say it was Marty McFly. Oh yeah, and Back to the Future. The, he he played guitar. Oh, the, the Johnny B. Good. The Johnny B. Good. Oh, that was a great scene. And Chuck Berry's from St. Louis. So I was like, Chuck Berry's a, a guitar god, right? And so, yeah, there's a lot of moments of me like holding a fake guitar or a real guitar, doing, trying to do a duck walk and shit. Like, so I always love guitar. So I've been playing a long time in college. I started to sing a little bit. I always kind of sang, but I really like let it fly. And some friends were encouraging of it because I was always like a great guitar player, but I wasn't didn't have a voice, let's say. So I started singing shortly after I started writing my own brand of music, which is kind of a blend of political music, but also lighthearted at the same time sometimes. I, I want to get a little bit more into into, you know, your artistry and what inspires you you know, that political side of you, like, where did that come from in your life to make you care about, you know, politics and policy and other people? I wonder where that came from exactly. It's hard because it's probably bit by bit over time. I think just growing up in St. Louis at that time was very black or white and I didn't fit into a category and people would be like, what are you? You're like dark skin with straight hair. Like, but that's not politics. That's just like kind of noticing something like yeah. that might be a seed of something, but uh, might've been like, Spike Lee's Malcolm X mm-hmm. when that came out that was like a big deal uh, it was like a cultural event at that time it was like 92 or something and that kind of woke me up a little bit and then I got into like reading about history Bob Dylan music was uh, an introduction to different types of thought and and stuff like that and I got into the history of, like the Black Panthers and, and and stuff like that but at the same time I loved guitar growing up but when I was 15 or something I wanted to be a comedian I wanted to be a stand-up comic so I had this journal full of jokes and shit. And two of my heroes are George Carlin and Richard Pryor, who in their own right are very political. So almost as much as like Dylan or somebody, Bob Dylan or somebody influenced my political songwriting, Richard Pryor and, and George Carlin are possibly more important to me in terms of how I viewed the world. Wait, was there ever a fear that touching on, on you know, um, politics in your music, whatever, alienate your audience? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm smart enough to know that that's not everybody's cup of tea. But the way I write music is it's not exactly like fight the power. You know, it's not like (laughs) it's not like fucking destroy everything and, and, you know, break down the institution thing. Uh, Has there been a time that you've experienced where you're. Because we have the same political views, so it's not like view is some radical, but maybe we're both just radical people. Well, <laughs> <laughs> has there been a time where you're you're on tour, and maybe if you're you know, maybe in the deep south in Mississippi, where um, there's been some resistance to your music because of your views, has there been any instance like that? I haven't had bad experiences, but I it's also probably credit to the way I craft the songs and stuff. It's I try to make it undeniable. It's just like, I'm telling this story and that story is true. Um, I'm not saying abortion is bad or whatever. I, I don't sing a song about abortion in particular, but I'm trying to win over people too, even just in the writing of the song. I'm, I'm thinking about how somebody might perceive it. 
So I played a show in Little Rock, for instance, um, which is, is the South. Um, but Little Rock is a, a big, uh, you know, a city. So it's it's not it's not the the woods, you know. Yeah. And uh, but there's definitely some Republicans in the audience. But the way I kind of like sing and tell my stories a little like a little anecdote before I play and the way I craft the song with the lyrics and, and how it progresses by the time you get to the end, it's not offensive to somebody who differs with my opinion. It's 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 more harmless, I guess you could say to the it's not a bombard a bombardment, right? You know? I mean, sometimes I am, but you also got to know the room you're in. Like, if I'm in New York City, I might say some shit that I don't say in Little Rock, right? Of course. So there is some of that. One thing in the music industry that I've felt is that if you're not black or you're not white, you're not shit. (laughs) What what do you mean by that? I go into a venue and they're like, people kind of like, I don't, who's this Indian dude kind of thing. I just don't get taken seriously until I go on stage and like show them I show them that I'm serious and I and it's like it's not some awful thing I'm not gonna write a book about it but it's like it's a reality no I mean I, I totally understand that from the standpoint of the vantage point by which culture is viewed on a large scale mm-hmm. uh isn't really the top people aren't diverse mm-hmm. you know the higher up you go people who are making uh the decisions of you know, what's the 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 new family sitcom going to be on this particular network? Mm-hmm. You know, if they're not Indian or mm-hmm. if they're not yeah. black or Hispanic, they're probably going to make their pick based on what they know. Yeah. Um, it's just it's more of a human nature thing. Yeah. Even in like Aziz's, Aziz Ansari's uh, Master of None, there's like a skit where or an episode where there's like, we can't have two Indian dudes. <laughs> like, yeah. we, we can choose one of you, you know. Uh, so there's like a, a politics thing and a balance thing going on there. And in the music industry, the top level people, like you said, are it's pretty clear cut. But I'm not trying to say that there aren't. There's a ton of minorities in, in, in music and more and more every day. So it's changing for sure. But it's not like some big problem for sure. I mean, I mean, <laughs> but I mean, it's, well, it's a personal well, thing that I experienced. Well, how do you think that we can change that narrative? Like, It's changing. Like... I might be doing my part, but there's like plenty of people doing their part. Like, I mean, it's all com- it's all like compartmentalized almost. Like South Asians stick together, and like East Asians stick together, and African kids stick together. Like they have a community, and they're trying to like bring their community up mm. into the forefront of 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 culture, I guess you could say, uh, or music or whatever it is. And it's just like a person by person based, like it slowly building up mm. so we're gonna take a quick break and next we're gonna get into uh, after the break we're gonna get into the the announcement hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're back, man. Oh, shit. That was quick. That was quick, dog. You know what I'm saying? Went, grabbed me a little something to eat. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Went to the bar real quick, took a shot, came back, and now we're back. Yeah. So, B, uh... Tell us about this album and tell us about the rollout of why this album is unique. 
Cool. Um, so I wrote an album. I, I recorded it and produced it myself in my laboratory, as I call it. And um, it's very political and it addresses a lot of things going on in the country today. Immigration issues, voter suppression issues, cultural issues, Trump and Russia, on and on. I felt looking at like top 40 hits and just like looking around at the music industry, there's not like a lot of political music outside of hip hop, let's say. Doesn't seem to be a big taste for it uh, or an audience. I think there's an audience for it, but it's almost as though Trump is not president in terms of the music coming out. In the 60s, there was like all kinds of shit coming out from all genres, right? And not, that's not to say that there's not a lot, that there's not any, but there's not as much as I would maybe hope to be. And I wanted to reach an audience that would care about these issues. And I didn't want to drop it into the normal release cycle and it just be forgotten because I think they're really good songs, but it might go over the head of some casual political observers, let's say. And what I found over time is I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and podcast listeners are hungry for truth, hungry for stories, hungry for a lot of things, right? And I thought, what if I release it as a podcast? And nobody's ever done that because it's kind of doesn't make sense in one way. But because of the political nature of this album, uh, we decided to interview all kinds of people for this album and release songs per episode. So one episode will be my song that deals with immigration and we'll have celebrities and also experts. I really, I'm, celebrities get the butts in the seats, right? Yeah. But I wanted experts to really like lay out what, what they think is really happening. To provide like uh, maybe heavier, deeper context. Around. Yeah. These people like live the day to day and have to deal with the issues day to day. So I wanted to have substance with the, the fun, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's half of it is like a lighthearted take on on things. But yeah, I thought it would be a great idea. Did it come out that you had a collection of songs and you were like, okay, we should put this into podcast form? Or was it, hey, we should make something in podcast form. Let me make songs around that. No, it was, I recorded this album. I've always kind of had political leanings, you know, in my lyrics. So I wrote this album, I recorded it, and I was just like, I'm going to release it normally. And then I realized it's not going to hit the way I want it to hit if I just release it the way I've always, I always have. This definitely separates it. And it's for my fans who are already my fans. And, but it's also for people who are interested in hearing from, from some very interesting people, knowledgeable people who are from artists to activists to people on the ground, let's say an immigration lawyer dealing with deportation cases or uh, retired judges or authors like Dave Eggers or all kinds of people. It's a very broad spectrum. And I wanted it. I want the whole podcast to be kind of like a state of affairs about America right now. Mm. And so that takes all kinds of forms. It's not just Trump. It's, it's a lot of things. Well, first of all, I heavily like love what you're doing as far as putting out uh, an album in podcast form. Uh, and I think it's revolutionary in, in multiple ways. One being that, um, I don't know if recently have you seen the, the Kanye West interview that was conducted with Charlemagne. Have you, have you seen that interview or the Eminem no, one? No, no, no. Or there was the Eminem interview that was recently done with Sway, uh, where artists are now taking their content and their message in their own hands yeah. uh, and also owning that content. So back in the day, what would happen is, not back in the day, like now to this day, <laughs> um, you know, if I'm... Uh, uh, Kendrick Lamar or I'm Schoolboy Q. Yeah. I'm gonna go on uh, uh, Big Boy 
in LA and I'm going to go out to mm-hmm. Sway here in New York or the Breakfast Club and I'm going to talk about my album. And all that content, I have no control over the messaging. They could be talking about my girlfriend. They could be talking about whatever they want to talk about mm-hmm. in their agenda to get clicks. Yeah. But the message is lost. And on top of that, I don't own it. Yeah. So this is uh, revolutionary. This is the first time that you get to craft the narrative and the messaging right. of your album and then own that messaging. It's all about that narrative. Like every time you release an album, traditionally, you do have to have a narrative for the press to cover. And this is a narrative where, like you said, I get to take it back and I, I get to control it from start to finish. And that for most people isn't the case. It's like at least uh, that aspect of of the narrative I can control. And it's it's a big narrative. Um but yeah, you're at the mercy of whoever is interviewing you. Which is okay. It's okay. I mean, you're at the mercy of me right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, which, yeah. which is okay, but I think it's also important that you feed yourself first. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like before that press run goes out with, you know, Sway or Big Boy or, mm-hmm. you know. I um, mean, I can't, uh, I can't count how many times I've seen for myself and other artists who are like an ethnicity that it's not black or white in America go. And they're talking about politics and their music. Like, A, the first thing people will say about me is I'm Sri Lankan American, which is fine, sort of. There's That's a long story, but um, Tamil American would be maybe more representative. But some other guy over there, some white guy over here is just American. But anyway, I don't get to control that narrative. I don't just get to be American. And also, the thing that I see so much when anybody's any minority is talking about politics there's so many articles online where they're like, for blah, 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 for so-and-so, politics is personal. I've had multiple ri- articles written about that. And I'm just like, that sounds lazy at this point. Like, <laughs> I've seen like, that's like come mo- on, guys. <laughs> like, yeah, it is. Okay, fine. But like, that's the title of the article. You know, I get to talk about what I want to talk about. I get to edit what I want to edit in this podcast. And it's, it's freeing. It's a lot of work, but it's it's really freeing. And like you said, it's never been done, which is which is definitely interested interested in me. And I like to think of it as like James Gandolfini going on The Sopranos when like serial television was not to be done by serious actors. Mm. And he kind of was like elevated the art form of the episodic show or whatever. That was a while ago now, but that was a real thing where now TV shows are a big deal. There's one every like five seconds that's created. But at that time... He was stepping into a thing where, like, it wasn't to be taken seriously in a way, and so I hope this this works out that way. One thing that uh, I've been really inspired by this guy named George Lois. Ever heard of George no, no. Lois? Oh, man, I'm gonna give you that book. He's incredible. George has a book called "Damn Good Advice for um, for Creative People," and I love George because he's an he's an advertising marketing guru. He, he's the guy who did the MTV. I want my MTV. I want my MTV. He also launched the controversial Tommy Hilfiger ad mm. when Tommy launched. Oh, yeah. And the one thing is that uh, when I had a chance to meet him, that struck me that I told him that there's an art to controversy and there's an art to being provocative. Mm-hmm. But I think that, uh, do you think you're doing that with the release of putting your music in podcast form? Is it provocative? Is it like a, like a, is it a fuck you in any way to the music industry? I'm not powerful enough to say fuck you to the music industry, but it, it's like, well, we're not, not, not we're not in a sense of like fuck the industry, but you're releasing it in a platform that has taken the control away yeah. from outlets like Spotify or yeah. Apple or Tidal. It's like, like a fuck it sort of thing. Like, okay, fuck it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I can I can do better on my own in a way, and I think this is going to be great. I, I'm really excited about it because, like I said, I get to control what people are hearing, and and this is 
kind of an overview of American life in this moment, which is, I think everyone would agree, is kind of a crazy moment, whether you're on the right or the left. It's a chaotic moment. And it's America's a big ass country and it's dynamic as hell. And so it's not just Trump. Trump is a big deal, but there's a lot of people living lives uh, maybe affected by his politics or just the politics of America that's been there for a while that I love to tell their story. I'm not talking about like Supreme Court justice bills or, or, you know, some shit. I'm talking about people. I love to tell stories, something that people can relate to, but with a tinge of that political backdrop. Is there a rollout difference versus how you would do it with an album, uh, an album versus an album podcast? It, I like to say it's kind of like Pod Save America mixed with Song Exploder, I guess you could say, where it, I do break down the songs. And then I also dive into the lyrics and the meanings and and um, have my guests talk about the issue that that each song is about. So one episode is like 40 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever. And it's it's a lot of shit. It's my music is, is rolled out in the episode and there's two or three interviews included. You can also go on podcast tours, right? Like I, I think before podcasts. Um... I don't know. Maybe it's, it's kind of felt like the chitlin circuit of media. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Or just as far as like, you know, you want to be on television and you want to be on radio and you want to go in the big radio shows. And there's a couple of big podcasts that you know, like Mark Marin or mm-hmm. big, big ones. But a lot of artists have kind of negated like, you know what, let me just go on a podcast run. Um, like, what are your what are your thoughts on that? And, and I'm just doing kind a of, podcast run. Yeah. Like having having a run of. Uh, like say with OPP, right? Yeah, I started OPP because I realized people. Yeah, uh, great. Oh, well, thanks. Great show, great idea. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but like I have silent giants, but I realized that people who love podcasts learn about other podcasts through podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, so would this change the way that you would roll out your album because of the fact that it's a podcast, and now you can go on other podcasts to talk about your podcast album? Yeah. Versus. Maybe doing that, you know, uh, doing the village voice or doing right. print yeah, in yeah, a yeah. traditional way. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely. It's, it's it's definitely different. The reason why the idea even came up was that I was like, podcast files are the same thing as music files on iTunes music and iTunes podcasts. It's just MP3s or whatever, you know? It's yeah. like, why can't you do that? Why couldn't you do that? And the podcast audience is is a, just a different breed, and I, there's a lot of interest in political podcasts right now, obviously. And um, I just was like wondering where, in music at least, where the Curtis Mayfields were, where the Martin political, yeah, the political villains. artists were. There are some. I'm not trying to say there aren't, but it's not. There's a, you're going against a current in the music industry with that shit right now for whatever reason. I think it's just like. I think it's a good re- I think there's a good reason for it. I think people like the escapism of of a feel good song, right? I mean, that's music was created to make you feel good in the early earliest days of humans. I think it was sense of community uplift you, maybe get you through a hard time. Well, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you partner with anyone, any network or anything uh, for for the album, or is it completely independent? I'm on a, I, I have an agreement with uh, Critical Frequency, which is a, a podcast network right now. And they have some, some great podcasts on there. It's uh, run by 
an amazing woman named Amy Westervelt, and she's all about giving voice to mainly female podcasters, which is great, and um, lesser-known voices, I guess. She's trying to bring people up. So I'm happy to be there. And um, getting these political guests, it's all a new world to me, interviewing people. I love to talk to people, but like sitting with a sheet of questions and stuff, is a, it's a different thing to, to get used to. How was that also stepping into a role of kind of journalistic you know, being a journalist in a way. What is that like stepping into that role for you? My music has always like skirted just outside of like journalism in terms of like documenting something or being political and saying something political. But I definitely didn't want to be like Bob Dylan famously roasted this one dude, this day, this dude named Phil Ox, who was a folk singer in the sixties. And he was kind of just like chronicling like political stuff. And then, Dylan says, you're just a journalist. You're not even a songwriter. You're, <laughs> you know, you're just a journalist or whatever. It was uh, in the 60s. That was a big burn um, <laughs> at that time. But I definitely never wanted to be that. I always like, is the song good is first and foremost. And then the politics of it. But I've always like been interested in journalism. And part of that is like, I think free speech is tied to free press in a democracy. And you see around the world. Uh, free press and free speech curbed by quote-unquote democracies. You see that in Turkey. You see that in East Africa. You see that in Russia. And the Trump election really like kind of made me go, oh man, we have it good here. Like we can say what we want. Yeah. We can, and you, you don't get the secret police knocking at your door and all that. Yeah, being a journalist, that's what I'm doing in these podcasts, at least in terms of interviewing people it's been interesting. It's been humbling in that it's like I got a new job in a in a way. And anytime you learn a new craft, like you play guitar, you've been playing it for a while, but it's humbling, right? Yeah. To like pick something new up. Like what, what's, but, been, what's been the biggest challenge as far as um, I always maybe get a little bit nervous, especially now that I'm in the space of interviewing other podcasters who I like really admire mm -hmm. and love their shows where they know their stuff. <laughs> I mean, they yeah. know how to give a good interview. They yeah. know what makes a good interview. Was there any intimidation or, or fear that, ooh, I could uh, suck at this? I'm not afraid of... The... I'm probably my own worst critic kind of person. I don't get nervous. I get in the moments. I maybe get flustered in, in that I have my notes, but you can't stick to the script during the... Or at least in my, I think, like, as the conversation goes on, it goes, it branches off here. So if I just like kind of read, go at the next question, it's just like off kilter interview. Yeah. So you got to got to flow with it, but keep your eye on your notes. And that's been hard to keep it conversational. That's a task. It's challenging in that way. And that would probably be the biggest thing, like keeping it a good amount of loose and conversational while getting through all my researched points, you know, that I've, I've done. And any good interviewer, I would, you know, assume does their homework, you know? Yeah, I definitely have a uh, uh, a newfound respect for, um, when I see like these two hour podcasts, you know, the Joe Rogan podcast or Drink Champs. And I'm like, man, you're talking for two straight hours and you're not missing a beat on conversation. Mm -hmm. And there are no notes there. They're just like, yeah. they're just freestyling it. I'm like, wow, I, I didn't realize the art of conversation. You know who's so good at it is uh, in terms of, being able to talk sports, politics, all kinds of stuff is Larry Wilmore. Have you listened to Black on the Air? You know what? So, B, now it comes to this point in the show where I ask you for your podcaster's picks. So what are the picks that your favorite podcast that you love 
that we, the listeners, should be listening to? There's a great one by B. Beeman called Peace of Mind. <laughs> and then another one called Peace of Mind. And finally, Peace of Peace Mind. Peace of Mind. No, uh, Larry Wilmore's Black on the Air is, is great. Um, so uh, explain that show. Okay. Uh, Larry Wilmore is like a giant, a legend in Hollywood, I would say. Um, he wrote, he's a great writer. I think he's written, I'm probably going to get some of it off, but I think he wrote for In Living Color back in the day. He wrote for The Daily Show. Probably did a bunch of Robert Townsend movies with him. And um, I think he's like a creator of Blackish. Anyway, just like a giant, done a lot of stuff. Even had his own show. Now he has his own podcast, which is, I think, on like the Bill Simmons Ringer Network, okay. I think. Great show. He has guests from comedians because he's a comedy writer. Uh, comedians to athletes to anyone, po- politicians. He he can talk about anything. And he's one of those guys who probably doesn't have notes. It's just in his head. And he can turn on a dime and talk about this, talk about that, and not be wrong, not be bullshitting, you know? Yeah. And so he's great. Um, one of them is Song Exploder, where music artists come on and break down a single song of theirs. So he'll have, like, let's say, Beck come on and talk about whatever. I can't name a Beck song right off the, off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> Neither can I. Devil's Haircut. Okay. There we go. And he'll be like, oh, I was listening to James Brown, and he said this line, and it made me think or made me come up with some this musical idea then so i went to the studio i laid down this synth thing and what's cool is the music production or the production quality of the podcast is really dope um and it's it's like an experience a musical experience along with the podcast so i'm uh, that's really cool and i gotta say i'm not gonna do two i'm gonna do two more so before okay to get everybody in there we go i'll do a west wing daily with rishikesh and also um josh molina who's um a member of the cast of the West Wing, the great TV show. Yeah. So they talk about West Wing, but also modern day stuff. And then um, my man, Glenn Washington out in Oakland, does two great podcasts. One of the one that put him on the map was Snap Judgment and a amazing storyteller. He's on my podcast. Um, and he also has a new one called Spooked. Both and the, the production quality is amazing. Like I went to his, his offices. And then I snuck my head into the production office and all the all the the story producers who make who produce the voice content, like the storytelling part of it, they get together with these music producers. They have three music producers there. They listen, oftentimes just listen to the stories and make music to it. And they're scoring it, but it's like in a with a hip hop flair. Wow. And it's really cool. So Wow, okay. Definitely gotta check that out. Yeah. Snap judgment. And uh, last but not least, B, before we get out of here, uh, why do you podcast? Because I need to. <laughs> <laughs> Life has left me no options. <laughs> I'm at the bottom of a well, and podcasting is the only way to get out. I'm going to podcast oh. my way to China. Um, oh, man. I think we should just leave it at that. That was so good. <laughs> well, if you no, I, lo- I, lo- I love... Uh, I mean, I will say this. Since starting this podcast, the production of it, I've read about podcasts. In this world of holding your phone in front of your face and looking at a light and either scrolling through a story or Instagram or watching a video, which is probably the majority of people's time on their phone, 
people have are tired, get tired, their eyes get tired, they mentally get tired of it. And when you turn on a podcast, as you know, you love podcasts and, and your listeners love podcasts. When you turn on a podcast, you can, you're not beholden to your phone. You can get about your, go about your day. You can do, you can do your things that you did before the iPhone existed. Mm. You know, you can get your business done and still have your podcast friend talking to you. You know, I think it chills people out in a way that it, you do not get chilled out when you look at your phone. I don't care if it like makes you laugh or whatever. There's a stress level inherent in a phone and looking at a light. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, but it does chill people out. It makes them think and it's on demand. It's on demand radio. If you want to pause it and rewind, it's, it's there. It's, it gives you a lot of power over your day. And I think that's a huge reason why people listen to podcasts. BB man. Pleasure having you, man. My cousin's back. <laughs> cousin's back in town. Everyone go check out Peace of Mind. Historic moment in podcast history. Here the man be. Thanks, man. We out. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of OPP and to today's special guest, B. Beeman. You can find the links to his new album podcast, Peace of Mind, in the description of this episode. This episode was co-produced by Danielle Hogarty, mixed by Mark Bird. Music for this podcast is provided by Richie Quake. And before we get out of here, be sure to check out my other show, Silent Giants, a show that highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. And I'll be sure to add the link to that in the description of this episode. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. God bless. Till next time. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.